0: All right, there we go. That's better. Makes me feel better. I don't know about y'all. <laughs> All right, Matthew chapter 16. There's a contemporary group called Gunger, and it's the last name for um, Michael and Lisa Gunger. And one of the best known songs that they've done is the title of this album, which is Beautiful Things. And you may recall that song about beautiful things. This is a song that they. Uh, did that's not quite as well known, but it's called Cannot Keep You. And they start off talking about people in the Old Testament times. And this is what they say. They, the people of the Old Testament times, tried to keep you, God, in a tent. They could not keep you in a temple or in any of their idols to see and understand. Then they began to talk about us today. We cannot keep you in a church We cannot keep you in a Bible, or it's just another idol to box you in. They could not keep you in their walls. We cannot keep you in ours either. For you are so much greater. So much greater. When we think about what that song says, we could even, in some ways, think it irreverent when it talks about not keeping God in the Bible. But what does it mean by that? It means that we have to take what the Bible says and we have to bring that out into our lives and into our world. That we cannot just keep God in a box that we create. Most of us have a theology that we have created And a lot of it is true. We believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we have all the fundamentals anchored, but then we try to mold God into a God that we want Him to be. And we put Him in a box when we do that. We live with God contained. in what we decide He ought to look like who He ought to be, and what He ought to do for us. And that's what this is talking about. It's talking about how the people of the Old Testament times tried to put God in that temple where His presence resided, but tried to lead Him there, not realizing that He was among them and leading them and guiding them. I want to talk today about mindset. Mindset. Because it's all about the mindset that we have. Have you ever been asked to do something you didn't want to do? Of course you have. We've all been asked to do something we don't want to do. Sometimes it's at work. Sometimes it's at home. Sometimes it's at church. You know, We're asked to do something we don't want to do. And we either do it grudgingly and just get it done. Have you ever done that? Yes, you have. And sometimes our heart comes around and we do it gladly. Maybe that should be more often. <laughs> but we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today where Jesus tells his disciples something that they don't like, that they don't want to hear. We want to see what Jesus says to them and what it means in their lives. So Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he said to him, he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, Let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will keep it. What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what would a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels and in the glory of His Father. And then He will repay each person for what He has done. Let's pray. Father, we come to a passage of Scripture that will show us something about mindset and how that can cause us to be in the wrong place and thinking the wrong things. So God, use this passage in our lives to speak to us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Becoming like Jesus is not an easy process. Francis Chain, in his book, Forgetting God, writes this, The truth is that the Spirit of the living God is guaranteed to ask you to go somewhere or to do something you wouldn't normally want or choose to do. The Spirit will lead you in the way of the cross as He led Jesus to the cross. And that is definitely not a safe or pretty or comfortable place to be. The Holy Spirit will mold you into the person you were made to be. This is often incredibly painful processes were stripped of selfishness, pride, and fear. C.S. Lewis wrote a book entitled The Voyage of the Dawn of the Trader*, and it's about this little boy, and the little boy becomes a dragon. And the whole purpose of the story is to talk about sin, and the little boy, in order to Return from being a dragon to being that little boy, the scales that he has as a dragon must be torn away from his skin, from his flesh. And C.S. Lewis writes about the painful process that this was for these scales to be removed from this little boy. But so often that's what it's like in our lives to become more and more like Christ. To be stripped of the things that are in the way. We often put God in that box. We want him to be who we want him to be. There's an interesting word here. It says that Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. That word must is massive. It's powerful. It is saying that there is no other way. When we say something must be, what we're saying is that that's it. It can't change. The word must means it's going to be this way. And so Jesus is telling them, I must go to Jerusalem. I must die on that cross and be raised again on the third day that this must take place. Why is it so necessary? Human sin, for the wages of sin is death, Romans tells us. So Jesus had to go to the cross. He must. It was a divine requirement. Hebrews tells us, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. It had to be that way. There was no other way. It must be that way. There was the divine decree From the sovereign knowledge of God when Jesus himself sat in the garden and said, Lord, if there is any other way, but yet not my will, your will. It was a prophetic promise. And I want to read you a verse from Leviticus. Leviticus Chapter 17, verse 11. Listen to this. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And we know that, don't we? Without blood, we're we're done. The flesh has to have blood. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Now listen to this. I, God, Jesus, I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. The life of Jesus given. and His blood gives us life. And so Jesus had to do what he had to do. It was a must. It was no other way. It was something that he had to do. And he told his disciples that. And Peter had a different mindset. Peter says, No way, Jesus... Can you imagine? It says that he took Jesus aside. Jesus, come come here a minute. I've got to talk to you. There's no way this is going to happen to you. There's no way you can go to a, a cross and die. It can't happen. Peter has a mindset. Peter is thinking in the way of the world at that time. They were looking for a Messiah that would become a king, an earthly king. They were missing the spiritual aspect. And Peter wouldn't truly understand this until after the resurrection. Even after this rebuke from from Christ, he didn't get it completely. Today, we allow the world to come into our faith. To begin to shape what we think, what we do. And we begin to try to make it okay, even through... The Word, we try to massage it to make it say what we want it to say. But what was an abomination to God in the past is an abomination to God today, period. But there's also always grace. There's always love and forgiveness. But what's wrong for us as Christians is still wrong for us as Christians. And we sometimes rebuke God ourselves. We may not say it in a certain way. We may not even realize it. But when we go to God in prayer and we demand that He do something, we're rebuking Him. We're telling Him, you don't know what you're doing. You can't do it that way. You need to do it my way. That's what Peter was doing. Jesus, you can't go that way. You can't go to Jerusalem. You can't. Do that, they'll arrest you, they'll kill you, you can't do it. But we often go to God and say, God, you need to do this. Now the Bible tells us to present our request to God. It's one thing to ask, it's another thing to demand, right? And when you think about a rebuke, that's a big word. What does it mean? It means to get in somebody's face and tell them they're wrong. It's not, a, it's not a little word that says, oh, you know, things are not good, you need to change. It's like, you have got to do this. How often have you gotten your child's face and said, this is the way it's going to be? Cause, why? Because I said so. Now, who has the right, if we, if we as parents can say, I said so, what about God? Certainly God can say, because I said so. It doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you want politically or any other way. What matters is what this says. Erase everything else and look at what I have to say. Don't worry about all those other things. Go here. If you want to know what you want me to do, go to God. Allow the Holy Spirit to direct you through this book. If you don't read the Bible, how do you know what God wants? You don't. You make it up yourself. You decide for yourself oh, this must be what God wants. He's a loving God. So this must be okay. Well, no. Look at the book, look at what He says. When we do those things, we're rebuking God. We're saying, God, you don't know what you're talking about. I know better than you. And I haven't even taken the time to see what you have to say. Jesus says, I want you to think about this. Jesus looks straight at Peter. Peter is just... Rebuke him. I think boldly, strongly, but in love and love for Christ. He loved Jesus. He didn't want to see that happen. And so he, as hard as he can, he tells, trying to convince Jesus that no, that can't happen. And Jesus says, "Get behind me, Satan." Can you imagine what Peter must have felt in that moment? That's crushing. I can't imagine. But here's what we need to realize. If we've got God in a box, if we're trying to tell God what to do, He's looking at us and saying, Get out of my way. I've got something to do. If you're not willing to do it, then move. Because I will do it another way. Joe, if you're not willing to follow me, then move. I'll find someone who will. Now, does that have to do with my salvation? No, but it has to do with my abundant life in Christ and knowing Him and doing what He's called me to do. Yes, there are times we don't really want to do some of the things that are in front of us to do. But when Jesus tells us to do them, you know what? How we feel doesn't matter. We do. And we let the feelings come along behind. We do what God has asked us to do. Jesus tells Peter, you're thinking about the things of men, not the things of God. Your mind is not on the things of God. It's on the things of men. And again, how often are we like that in our lives? We We are. There are times when we are. We're not perfect. But Jesus is telling us to put heavenly, eternal things in front of everything else. To make sure we're looking at the things that matter, the eternal things, and being careful that other things don't slip in. There are so many churches in our nation that are going somewhere other than where God wants them to go. There are so many of us that love Jesus Christ that are not doing the first and most important thing that He asked us to do, which was to tell people that we love Him. We as individuals need to be out there in our world ready to share what Jesus has done for us. It's simple. You have a testimony. If you've been saved, you've got a testimony. If, you're too, if you were saved before and too young to remember what actually happened, then you've got something that God has done in your life that you can share. And we need to do that. Wouldn't it be awesome to see Mecklenburg and Brunswick County explode for Jesus Christ? What will that take? It will take putting our things on the mind of God and not the things of man. And when we look at somebody and they say something point blank that would allow us to say something about Christ and don't, what have we just done? We put Jesus in a box and Jesus is going, you missed it again. You missed it again. Thank goodness for the grace of God. But folks, we need to share our faith. There's some of you in this room who have never told anyone that you love Jesus. Never. Except maybe your family. It should be a routine. It should be part of our lives. When someone says they're hurting, it's real simple just to say, you know what, I don't know all about your problems, but let me tell you about somebody that's helped me. Because all of us have faced something in our life. It might be little. It might be great. But all of us have faced something. Jesus has worked with us in some way in our life. And we can share that. And all it takes is saying, Hey, you know, I hear what you're saying. Can I tell you something that helps me? What's the worst that can happen? You're not responsible for the other end of the conversation. God is. All Jesus wants us to do is share He'll take care of the rest if we're just willing to do it. We live in a country that we sang about in the first service, how great our country is and how blessed we are to live in it. And that is true. It is very true. But our country is only blessed because of the people who live in it. Our country is blessed because God blesses his people. As the number of people shrink that love God, the less his blessings will be. In fact, the Bible tells us that he sends rain and sunshine on everyone, whether you believe or not. It's often interesting you hear the farmer say, I'm praying for rain. And the person that lives on the lake, I'm praying for sun. Now, which one is God going to answer? I mean, think about it. He got two football teams. One's praying that God will help him win, and so is the other. How's God going to answer that question? Now, one, I don't think He will. Now, will He answer the, answer the prayer, God help me? Do the best I can, yeah. But I don't think he's going to really care too much about which football team wins. Because he pours blessings on all of us. He doesn't split us. He doesn't say, you're going to be more blessed than you. In fact, he says when we come to know him, we already have all the spiritual blessings that he can give. We've already got them. We just need for him to show us how to live in them. Have you heard of Malcolm Forbes? He became famous through uh, Forbes Publishing, Forbes Magazine. Um, but he also owned Capital Tools, which built one of the early Boeing aircraft. He was a very, very rich man. And have you ever heard the little slogan, The one who has the most toys wins. The one who dies with the most toys wins. That was coined by him, by Malcolm. He coined that phrase, The man with the most toys wins. And this is written about him. The man who had everything... Tells of motorcycle tours through Egypt with his capital tool, Motorcycle Team. He viewed the tombs of the kings and put Forbes in a reflected mood. And his biggest question was, will people remember me? And they have. I mean, you can look him up. He's pretty, uh, pretty well known. But here's the thing. He died in 1990, and all of his toys are still in the garage. He didn't take any of that with him. He didn't take any of his successes with him. He didn't take any of his mountain climbs with him, any of his motorcycle races, none of that went with him. Jesus says for us to take up our cross and follow him, to deny ourselves, to lose our lives, to gain our lives. What good will it be if a man gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? We have to choose between religion we have to choose between sensuality and Jesus. What's it going to be? We can't have all that the world wants to give us and Jesus too. We are called to publicly confess God. Go make disciples. The epistles over and over tell us to share what we believe. We are engaged in a spiritual battle consistently. Every moment of your life is a spiritual battle with the evil one and with yourself. Because the flesh, the old man still lives. It's only as we surrender To Christ, the new person lives out in our lives. That spiritual battle is always raging. It costs to follow Christ. It costs something. And Jesus tells us in the scripture that He's going to return with his angels and he's going to reward the things that we've done for him. Peter had to understand, come to the understanding of the cost of discipleship. He had to recognize that just as Jesus was sacrificing himself, that he must live a sacrificial life too. You know, I talk about this like it's all easy. It's not but it's about building that relationship with Christ. It's about being in prayer so we can see what He does. When we ask Him, we can see His answers. When we don't ask, He moves and we may be oblivious to what He's done. We have to know something about what He's saying so that we can make right choices. God has never put a Scripture verse in my head that I haven't read. You know, I've got to use my brain a little bit. Fifteen minutes a day. Fifteen minutes a day. Give it that. Do you realize that you can read the entire book of Philippians and the time that it will take you to read two columns in a newspaper? You can read the entire book of Philippians. It doesn't matter if you read it on the screen or on the paper; it still works. You can still read it the time it would take you to read two columns. It's not hard, and God will say so much through His Scripture. What box have you put God in? Where is your theology? That's just simply what you believe about God. Where does it float away from what God has said? You have to find that. You have to open the box. By the way, God's not stuck in the box. You are. You are. You're the one that's stuck in the box, not God. But God wants to work through you. He wants to bless your life. But he wants us to be about his work. I believe that in ten years, we won't recognize the church of Jesus Christ if we're not involved in where it's going. The church is changing. Every church I know looks out at their pews and goes, where is everybody going? I know of very few churches, no matter how big or how small, that aren't in some way going, hmm, where is everybody? How come we're not full like we used to be? Boy, I wish we could go back to the 50s. Sunday school was booming, church was packed. In the first century, where did churches meet? Mostly in homes. Then what happened? Middle Ages, they built small, castle-looking churches. Then what happened? The grand cathedrals were built, massive, all over Europe. I've had the opportunity to stand in St. Peter's Cathedral and look up at that ceiling and just go, wow. And then I looked around and there were maybe ten people in there. If you dropped a penny, it would have gone bing, 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 all over the place. The cathedrals of Europe are empty. Where did they go? A lot of them set sail for the United States where they could be free to worship as they chose. And so what did they do? They started meeting homes and what did they do? They built a small little church. And then what did we do? We built these the church has been changing since the day it began. It will never be the same for very long. It's going to change. The question is, are we looking, are we watching where God has taken it? Because I don't have the answer, but He does. And if we follow, then we will land where He wants us to be, or we'll be looking at the new wave, just like the priests in those cathedrals stood up and looked out and went, wow, everybody's meeting in their houses these days. Man, they're all shipping across the United States. The church of Jesus Christ is not stagnant. We can't keep it in some box that we've defined. It's going to change, and it is changing. In fact, today, we are more like the first century when it comes to faith than ever before. We can walk up to people today and say, sin, and they'll look at us and go, what? We can look at them and say, hey, let's talk about Jesus. And they'll go, who? There are people today, and in the next five years, most of the people in the United States will not have any idea about Christian faith. Here's the thing. That's actually an opportunity for us. Because they don't have preconceived ideas about what church is or what is done or any of their crazy things that people think. I was one of those, about 25 years old. Oh, the church is just hypocrites. I'm not going because it's just full of hypocrites. Who was the hypocrite? took me about five years to figure that out. But a lot of that is gone. People don't have any idea. When Paul went out from Antioch, people had no idea what he was talking about he had to start at the beginning and tell them about Christ when people tell you about their lives most of the time somehow some way they're broken god has a plan for us a plan for his world he has a plan for us individually But sin takes us into brokenness. And we are broken without Christ. And if we can find that spot where that person is struggling, then we can talk to them about the gospel and how Jesus doesn't always take everything away, but He is there to help you through. And we can lead them to repent and to believe in the gospel. And then they can begin to pursue the design that God has for their life. God has a design for your life. Have you ever sat or stood or whatever? Have you ever felt that you were experiencing maybe just a little bit of what Adam and Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden before the fall? That's what the abundant life is about. It's about us experiencing God in a broken world about getting a taste of what it was like to live in the Garden of Eden prior to the fall and to understand that that's where we're going when Christ returns. But in the meantime, we can experience a little bit of that because the Holy Spirit lives within us. And we can experience God. And when we do that, we're experiencing a little bit of the Garden of Eden. I encourage you to evaluate your box. I think it's something we need to do often. It's real easy to slip God into that box and kind of leave him there for a while and one day go, I've kind of boxed you in, God. I just encourage you to pursue him. Pursue the design that God has for your life. Get rid of the box. Get in the scripture. Pray. You can't... It's like any relationship. It takes some work. You can't know someone unless you try. You can't know someone unless you're willing to talk to them. You might have a lot of acquaintances, but you want God to be more than acquaintance. You want to know Him. Jesus says he wants to be your friend and your brother. God wants to be your father. That takes a relationship. Get out of the box. Let's pray. Father, Peter struggled. He wanted what he wanted badly. And really for some good reasons, but they just weren't the way of... god they weren't the way of eternity god help us to see where we're boxing you in truly really boxing ourselves in help us follow you give us the desire god to be in your word to pray to seek you to ask you questions so we can see you answer god give us the courage to tell others about christ that our churches buildings would be filled the people who have come to know you. God, the world is hungry. You said way back when that the fields were white to harvest, and they still are. And you said, Where are the workers? God, let us take up the mantle to be the workers. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to be here at the front, if you have a decision to make or would like to like me to pray with you, I'd be happy to do that. Let's stand and sing together.